0: You're listening to the best of the TomBernardShow.com Brought to you by Bradshaw and
1: Bryant Who, me? me? <laughs> well, I'd like to really know if I was married to a horror piece said. of shit <laughs> 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 You could just look at her license My
2: Special stripe That
1: was <laughs> amazing <laughs> right Oh my gosh Coming by sweet corn, potatoes, onions, pickles
3: everybody, to another episode of the Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast, brought to you, as always, by Bradshaw and Bryant. Kicking off the show this week, we had Jeff Belanger talking about ghosts on this special Halloween episode and postage stamps. Ooh, next on the Best of...
0: it. This might be my favorite Rolling Stones song. I see and I want you to paint black. black. excellence everywhere according to Devin Pittman. <laughs> yeah now you got your own song, yeah. <laughs> man. That was my jam on Guitar Hero. When
5: Guitar Hero.
0: Was <laughs> Guitar was, Hero. Yeah. On, on Guitar Hero. <laughs> New England Legends TV series just hit Amazon Prime. 2020 Haunted New England calendar just came out. New England Legends podcast is still coming out each weekend. Jeff just launched the Halloween stamps for the U.S. Postal Service. Jeff Belanger, how are you?
2: I'm great, Tom. Good to be
0: back with you. Nice to have you on again. This time of the year, nice Catholic boy that I grew up being a nice little Catholic boy. I love Halloween. And I'll tell you another thing, Mr. Belanger. It's a very special time for me because I do remember every halloween we had a nice man uh named uh joe greenstein he was a local grocer owned the biggest little store in the world and he was a nice jewish man but he bought a pumpkin for every kid in every school including the catholic schools the synagogue the uh, really yeah for everybody he he brought it to the christian schools the public schools you know, he brought it to all the schools. Everybody got a pumpkin from Joe Greenstein. So it was like, right away, we were just like, we're all in this together. It was mm-hmm. very cool.
2: That's, That's very awesome. You cool. really did was. you carve it?
0: You didn't want me anywhere near a knife. <laughs> off,
2: no, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I, that question got away from me. I couldn't grab it back. <laughs> it <laughs> got away. Got from right, me. I was like, oh, there it goes. Oh, wait a <laughs>
3: minute.
4: I <Tom laughs> wasn't allowed to touch sharp objects till he was twenty.
0: <laughs> I don't still. I don't think they still want me doing it, but. Yeah, you know, Jeff, very, very quickly, I just met with uh, one of my favorite guys, worked for him, uh, at Cumulus for a long time, he's now the consultant, guy named Mike McVeigh, I think the world of the guy, he's a great guy, and the first time I ever sat down and had a, a talk with him, we went to the airport, one guy was going to Minneapolis, one guy was going to Palm Beach, Florida, and the other guy was going to Cleveland, so we're splitting up three separate ways, and just before I left, Mike McVeigh says to me, Tom... You know, there is something wrong with you. And then he turned around and just walked away. Like, gee, thanks. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. In some
2: it. countries, they say bon voyage.
0: Yeah. yeah well, they wish you well. Yeah, whatever. Safe travel. Or either you're nuts or bon voyage. I forgot which one I was supposed to say there. Yeah. That all works out, man. So, man, you're, you, you got a few things going here. You got, you're a busy man.
2: Yeah, it's October. I'm like an accountant in April, I guess.
0: Yeah, well, that's probably true. Where do you want to start? And a lot of stuff to talk about today.
2: Man, so I I, can we talk about postage stamps? Because I mean, that's riveting, right? (laughs) Well, it is for me. (laughs) As long as they got Elvis on them. So, not since the Elvis stamp, I think, is uh, has there been a more significant time in the U.S. Postal Service history. And uh, this amazing thing happened on October 11th, and I got to be part of it, which was really cool. So the U.S. Postal Service called me like a month ago. And they call me, like from Washington, D.C., you know, the headquarters. Ooh. And they call me exactly never, right? <laughs> so so they, exactly. call, they call and say, <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I've kept track my whole life, and there's been zero calls till then. <laughs> and uh, they said, hey, we're going to launch the Halloween stamp. Would you want to be part of it? And it's, uh, I said, well, you know, that sounds interesting, I guess. And then I saw the stamp designs, and I said, yes, I will definitely do this. And I went up there, and we got to, you know, there was like a half hour, all this pomp and circumstance. It was one really neat little ceremony. People came from all over the country. It's called a first day of issue event. I didn't even know this was a thing, but Me it's neither. a thing. This is all new. Yeah, it's a thing. Yeah, so people come from far away for this. And I went up and I talked to the postmaster guy from Washington, D.C. I said, Did you know this is the first time you've put a ghost on a U.S. postage stamp? And, he, and I could tell the decision was made far below his pay grade, right? And he went, Oh, okay, yeah, whatever. I said, no, no, no. <laughs> You'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so, so I go up there and I say my speech and I say, look, it's okay if you don't believe in ghosts, but I believe in ghosts. And I'll tell you why, because I've seen them on a stamp. And I pointed to the stamp that had just been unveiled right right behind me. And there's four of them. There's little black cats, little black bats, spiders, and then these ghosts. And it's like clip art, right? Clip art on on Mm -hmm. pretty background. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, I believe in ghosts. And the U.S. Postal Service believes in ghosts because if you put one of those ghosts on a letter it'll go all the way across the country in just a few days they will provide their service and (laughs) and so i could just and then i look over and i see a little bit of sweat forming on this guy He's like oh no (laughs) i didn't see this coming and so uh i'm trying to you know stir the pot a little bit say like well you know whether you believe in them or not the u.s postal service does and it's the first time that they've sort of endorsed a ghost
0: what's wrong is nothing
6: wrong with that
2: no nothing wrong with that i agree with you i think it's awesome I loved it I loved every minute of it yep. and I think the stamps are awesome and gorgeous and uh, they sent me this little pin this little gold pin it's totally cute it Look, looks great on a suit but uh, you know it was uh, it was need to be part of that because I, I think it's almost like the you know I've been doing this for 20 plus years and and to watch ghosts seep more and more into the popular culture to now the point that they're on a stamp kind yeah. of significant
4: were you voting on the, <clears throat> excuse me were you voting on the on the stamps or what was what was your input on that
2: no, uh, there was no input. The stamps were done. They wanted oh, me to be okay. the keynote speaker to launch them. So oh, they have this okay. whole half-hour ceremony, oh. and I was the last person to speak. It's broadcast on Facebook Live and all this other stuff. And uh, oh, cool. and I went up there, and, and I'll be darned if they didn't quote me uh, on their website, where they wrote up their own news release ab- about it, and they quoted me at the end saying, hey, I believe in stamps because I believe in ghosts because I saw them on a <laughs> stamp, a, a stamp that will get a letter across the country. <laughs> I went, you guys are just a glutton for punishment, you know? I think it's so. Terrific. I'm waiting for the religious groups and stuff to jump in. It'll be great.
4: <laughs> I can't wait well, for that. Right.
0: One of the great things about Halloween it was found based on religion, and that's why some people don't like it because it its derivation is religious. I, I don't find it to be particularly religious. And like I said, I grew up Catholic, so I, I maybe I should, but I never have. Halloween's just a it's a very fun time. You you know All Souls yeah. Day, All Saints Day. It's just. It's wonderful stuff. That's all I know. I love well, well,
2: Halloween. I do too, but you know, and the reason it exists and what's amazing to me is that it exists all over the world. What we're really talking about is November 1st, and I know it's October yes. 31st. But right. Stay with me. <clears throat> so, November 1st marks the halfway point between fall and winter, Correct. between well, between the the equinox and the solstice. Right. And that turns out to be a significant day the world over. Now, the Celtic people 2,000 years ago believed the veil between the world of the living and the dead was at its thinnest, so they they held these bonfires and put out food offerings for the dead, and over time, the Catholic Church got their hands on it and turned it into All Hallows' Eve, but in Mexico, it's Dio de los Muertos, and I was in Peru this summer, and down there, it's Day of the Souls, and so the whole world looks at this day as some sort of Day of the Dead, and that's really something. I Mm -hmm. mean, cultures that didn't have a lot of contact, you know? That's a very so, good. Point I
0: love it because yeah. they did not know from one another that that was the situation. You're absolutely right.
2: Yeah, so Which is damn something's cool. in the
7: air, man. <laughs> ah, yeah, it's
0: always been in the air. You know, getting together with my friends and all the rest of the, the only the only problem the only problem I ever had with Halloween is when I turned 11 years old, my voice dropped and I grew to six feet tall, <laughs> so nobody gave me any damn candy, even though I was only 11. <laughs> trick or treat! I, did, I come in and go. Yeah,
2: trick or treat! And like, get the hell out of here. <laughs> What are you doing? I think that's why we have kids, though, isn't it? So we can go out again. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. That's what I did. I go out with my daughter every year. I wouldn't miss it.
0: Why do you think that is that that fall, the, the, the... Advent of fall is such a family. We went to the uh, what's called the Seavers Fall Festival, and it's a bunch of rides, and it's the pumpkin patch, and it's a very it's a huge family event. Halloween at my house was always a huge family event. It wasn't just for the kids; it was for everybody.
2: Sure, love that yeah. stuff. No, I, 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 you know what it is too, and and the other part of it, and this is culturally for thousands of years. It's the time of the harvest. You take mm-hmm. in the harvest. Yep. It's not quite cold yet you, you you celebrate hopefully your bounty, right hopefully mm-hmm. you, you're looking good for the winter, so you celebrate that harvest and you 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 welcome the change of the seasons it's it's uh it's what we do It is a wonderful thing we're We're also very lucky in that
0: uh we have a bunch of we have a few birthdays in there, and of course Thanksgiving's in there, Halloween's in there, you get to christmas New Year's I mean around our house is like ninety straight days of having fun It's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, I agree with you. It was for me, too, growing up. I mean, we have our, our traditions for each holiday and meals. We, for, for example, I, I can't tell you why or how this started, but I've had beef stew on Halloween pretty much every year of my life. <laughs> there you go, man. Maybe. I don't know why. And pumpernickel bread. It had to be pumpernickel bread oh, and beef it. stew. Love it. Yeah, every, and I will again this year. I, I couldn't not do it now.
0: I understand that completely. And that's sounds, no, I'm going to have to do it. Way to go, Jeff. Now i got to come up with beef stew you, and pumpernickel bread. Take,
2: Take it. I, have
0: I, it.
4: I remember having a conversation with somebody about Halloween, and she said, we, well, we don't celebrate Halloween because, you know, it's, uh, I'm religious, and I believe that that's conjuring up, you know, evil mm-hmm. spirits mm-hmm. and all this stuff. God. And I said, you know, if that's what you do on Halloween, right. <laughs> then that's what that means. But if you're just going to put on a funny costume and run around and get candy or and have a little party, it, it doesn't mean that. You're not going to conjure something up because your kid puts on a Little Mermaid outfit and gets candy.
5: Well, the whole thing of dressing up in costumes (laughs) was actually to protect you from the the, bad elements of the uh, Halloween season. I'm like, like, everything is what you make it. Yeah, exactly.
0: I suppose that is true. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. Not right in the basement
5: with the red and black
4: candles. and
0: come on, you know, let's go the
4: outfit. <laughs> I'm not doing
0: that. Get her up and running. Matter of fact, Jeff, we're at no one I point, <laughs> when our children were in, I believe, the first and third grade, we put them in a school, and they were there for one month, and then uh, they came home and said, "Mom and Dad, this is kind of sad." Well, what's sad? Well, they won't let us celebrate Halloween because it's a wicked holiday. I'm like, nope, they're not going to school there
2: anymore.
4: Nobody told us about that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> they got pulled out of that school with that you.
0: day, man.
2: Yeah, yeah like, I would oh, too. I'd be yeah. like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> you know, you know it's weird whatever. Teet, teet. Yeah, no, I'm with you.
0: That day, by by, I, it's an odd twist in the story, we transfer them into a Catholic school.
2: <laughs> so what is that?
0: Honest <laughs> 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 <It's> to <the> God. <laughs> No, it's uh, it's yeah. always been. And by the way, Jeff, I still hold the record. I have not met one other person, uh, a friend of mine named Mike Davitt. He and I were in first grade. And back then, when I was in first grade, you could go trick-or-treating by yourself, we thought, right? Sure. Uh, the only problem is when Mike Davitt and I were on our way home, we got robbed.
7: What? There
0: was a oh, guy. Oh, no. Yep, a guy hiding in the bushes. He jumped out and stole our candy and ran off. I'm still the wow. only person I know that got robbed at Halloween. God.
5: we we
4: went
2: You know, you hear stories, smiles. but it's always a friend of a friend. It's never you. No, wow. this was the ghetto. <laughs> 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 Living in the ghetto,
0: that stuff will happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'll never yeah, that's that we so got It was Yeah, you know, we got over it. We got home and said, mom, they robbed us. She said, yeah, "Who gives a breath? She no, said,
7: "Just go out again."
0: <laughs> well, here's here's what I like. She goes to the store quickly, comes back with like. Three Milky Ways. Okay, that's great, Mom. Thanks. It's
2: not the same as a pillowcase full of them. No, it's not
0: exactly. Plus, where are the nuts? I wanted a Snickers, not a Milky Way. What the hell's wrong with you? But no, I I, I do love it. I've always loved it. We just put our. We have a twenty-foot witch that we blow up and put in front of our house every year.
5: Is that Francine? Francine.
0: Francine. That's exactly. It's Francine the witch. She's there. Matter of fact, she's she's gotten a little older now because she leans on the post by the fence. (laughs) (laughs) She's leaning on the post. Tired of standing there. Tired of standing there every season for a month. No, it's 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 a wonderful time. Uh, So tell me about New England Legends TV series on Amazon.
2: Yeah. So it's a program that I've been working on for PBS. uh, A few. Select PBS stations for gosh, like six years now, and we don't get to do a lot of them. But when we do, it's it's just an adventure. We go out and we find out how the legends were born, and we explore everything from ghosts to monsters to strange, odd history, roadside oddities, you name it. And so this year, our series is back with a, an episode called Legendary Road Trip, and we over the span of a, a week, we logged over two thousand miles through New England, just oh. driving. So like all these very strange definite. Uh, destinations. We found the the site of America's first documented haunting in Maine, where uh, it, it's this ghost appeared over and over between 1799 and 1800 hundred witnesses, and it was all documented in this this particular book, uh, interviewing each witness and so on. And it's almost forgotten about, but it's this great story. And the cellar where the ghost appeared is still out there in the woods. We found the cellar hole, even though the house is really, not a no. yeah, it was really really cool like it just to just to be standing there and say well you know history was made here you know stories were made here yeah. did you go down um, there <laughs> we did oh heck yeah i did and the <laughs> strangest thing about it so yeah, I, did. <laughs> I dove in like it was a swimming pool <laughs> <laughs> so, the, <laughs> so the thing the strangest thing was and i've been in many cellar holes and they're all over the place right there they, they look like stone walls but they're clearly rectangular sort of disheveled and falling apart but you can see it And this one was kind of large for a cellar hole. And the strangest thing was, it's in the middle of the forest. There's trees growing up out through the middle of it, which is not unusual. It's been abandoned for 150 years. Uh, But all around the woods is is green and and perfectly fine. The trees that were growing up from the center of the cellar hole were all very tall and very dead. No leaves, no pine needles. Just these dead trees inside this area that's maybe 20 feet, 25 feet long and 15 feet wide or so. And it was it's just one of those things where you looked up and you went, huh, those are dead, and 10 feet away, they're all alive. Weird. I love it. Like me.
5: Okay. <laughs> if you do that
4: one more time, I'm coming down there.
0: Okay. <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh, You're going to be sad. <laughs>
0: You're going to be sad. <laughs> Jeff, my wife won't let me say my favorite line from The Exorcist. I can't believe it. I'm very upset. Which
2: one is it? Is it the one no, about don't let Jesus? Oh. <laughs> don't God, Ooh, the one about lot.
0: Jesus what? What about Jesus?
2: No, I don't remember the line. Thank you. I'm not saying anything.
4: <laughs> I'm not saying anything. That. I appreciate that. I'm not been.
2: saying anything. I like that a lot. Yeah. I have uh, that movie memorized. Where should we start? Line one? <laughs> yeah, line one.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Um. We, uh... Okay, well, I'll throw this out there. So how much more time do you have left with this? I don't want to keep you too long. So so how, how much more time do you have?
2: I mean, whatever you need. I'm okay. Okay,
0: excellent. So I, I went to see the movie. We're sitting in the front row of the balcony at the Gopher Theater in downtown yeah. Minneapolis back in the day. And the dog, my friend, is sitting to my right. And another guy I won't identify sitting to my left. The reason I didn't identify him is because he got up and the left because it scared him so much he, he went home. So... <laughs> I, I could let's just say his name is Bill Sugartit. How about that? We'll go with that. Anyway, right. We're I know sitting, Bill. I know him. But in any oh, yeah. case, you know that line about what your mother does in hell? That line? Yes. Uh, she blurts out that line your mother, blah, 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 in hell. The dog started laughing so hard, I thought he was going to fall off the balcony. (laughs) Because he lurched forward, he was laughing so hard. He thought that line was hilarious. (laughs) Like, oh, great. (laughs) Uh, Well, I suppose to a young man, I suppose that kind of thing is hilarious.
2: I I suppose. (laughs) It doesn't take much, does it? When you're a young man, no, like,
0: no, no, it does not, not at all. A couple no bodily
2: functions, and I mean, we're good. We can laugh all day on that. We're
0: all three years old again, absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah. We're all three yeah. years old. Poop. What do you think of that? I said poop. <laughs> I
2: think it's brilliant. God. You're i would born with it. you do stand up, oh, yeah. Tom?
0: I would watch that all night. <laughs> hey, I got a joke for you poop. Yeah.
1: Uh-huh.
0: yeah. All the three and a half year olds would flock to see me at the Civic Center.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> it would be unbelievable. <laughs> right. So, like, you be. and the
2: Wiggles. <laughs> that,
0: you know what? That is a great TV bit. I should sell that to Saturday Night Live. Have a guy do nothing but three-year-old jokes. And little humor. kids Just right. flock to see him at
2: stadiums. <laughs> uh,
6: God, that'd be the worst. <laughs> All the mothers are in the audience
2: rolling their eyes. I was going to say that.
0: <laughs> That's a great bit. That Might as write bit. that bit. All these three and a half year olds. Oh, he's just my favorite <laughs> <laughs> Have a little kids standing
2: events. Billy. It'd be wonderful. Just like How much she, was this ticket? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. That's exactly right. But in any case, uh we were talking about New England Legends T V series on Amazon Prime. Twenty twenty haunted New England calendar just came out. So you don't have one in front of you, do you?
2: Uh uh, Maybe somewhere oh yeah i do look
0: at that there might be one right here i'm checking to see oh look at this haunted new england oh that's a cool picture where do you the, the the haunted new england 2020 that you know the picture i'm talking about where it looks like you're going into a cave
2: yeah that's, that's called cool. the clinton tunnel in clinton massachusetts and oh, it's oh, okay. um, yeah the, the photographer i worked with on this frank grace he's amazing so i i write the stories frank takes the pictures we've done these five years in a row and it's uh, it's just this really fun project that um, is it, just it's a sickness at this point. We're just compelled to keep doing it because we've got friends. We we only print a limited number because the thing is, Tom. When you when you produce a calendar by January second, they're worthless. <laughs> so you know, it, <laughs> suppose, Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so if, if it was a book, I mean, it could sit in my basement. I'll sell it next year. It's fine, you know. But if it's this, right. it's, this is it. So we only we only do a few. And um, and, and, it's, and there's people like, oh, you're my calendar every year. And I said, now I have the responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, it's I mean, an that's awesome good. responsibility. That's good. Yeah. So people are like, oh, what's this year's calendar? We're working on it. We're working on it. So, uh, yeah, the Clinton Tunnel, it was supposed to be a train tunnel, but it was never finished. Ooh. And um, there was all, yeah, all kinds of accidents and uh, eerie stories about uh, about it. And today people can walk through it, and it's, it's you know it's just a very spooky place. But I love the visual.
0: God, that is a really yeah. It is a great picture. So the calendar you can you can purchase. The calendar will only be purchased at one of Jeff's events. Um, oh, you can buy it on my website. On your website, yeah, which is uh, jeffbalanger dot slash haunted new england twenty twenty. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, I think That's it's a great it. idea. Do you have one specific book about about Halloween or haunting or whatever? What is the scariest book you ever read? Is there one? Ever read? Yeah, is there any book out there that, that like, you know, well, how many books do you have? I've written 15. 15. That's what, I knew you wrote, wrote a ton of them. Do you have one that's your yeah. favorite? Obviously, you, you like them all, but is yeah. there one that just blows you away that you were able to write this book?
2: So, Tom, you might be old enough, and this isn't meant to be an insult, but <laughs> do you know, remember who Studs Terkel was? Yes, I so do. As a it. matter of <laughs> fact. <laughs> okay,
0: your grandmother's here, Jeff.
2: <laughs> yes, I know. I know. So here's what I did. No, uh, that's that guy's I, I 1920s. I mean, we're yeah. going way back. I yeah. know. I yeah. know. Yeah. Most yeah. people don't know who he is, but no, I know who he is. he's a journalist, and interviewer. For those who don't know, and and he wrote a an incredible book called Working, which is still incredible. But he would in, interview people, and and it, the dialogue would be in the book. It's it's that sounds like duh, right? But if there was ums and pauses and things like that he captured the voice of a person in the written word like no one i've ever seen Mm -hmm. so i wanted to do a book about ghost experiences people's real life ghost experiences and do my darndest to rip him off (laughs) so (laughs) that's nice well i mean an homage right i mean i was channeling my studs turkle I, i wrote a book called our haunted lives where I interviewed people about their ghost experiences, and I said, one of the problems with these stories is they get sensationalized by the author. I'm going to keep myself out of the way. You're going to read what they said, and I'll just interject, as he did, just like one little line of questioning just to keep it moving in some sort of narrative flow. And so it's it's 99% them, 1% me just helping along with the Mm -hmm. questions. And so the book starts with a, a, a very thorough interview I did with George Lutz, who lived in the Amityville house. It's his story that was made into all the books, all the movies, everything. And we spoke for hours about everything that happened from like the summer of 74 to like the, to, you know, three, four years later, after they had moved out of that Amityville house. And what I heard from him directly was that, you, you know, the book and he, and was a, an exaggeration of reality. The movie of course was a gross exaggeration with each movie getting worse. But when you read what really happened, uh, it's the kind of thing that would chip away at your sanity, which to me is much more frightening, right? If you walked into a house that was literally like bleeding in the walls and stuff <laughs> flying at your head, and the the place is trying to eat you, you just leave. You wouldn't yes. have to think about it. You'd mm-hmm. turn around and you'd walk out and it'd be the end of the movie in thirty seconds, right? But in reality, like days go by and there's absolutely nothing, and you start to calm down. Oh, I'm safe. It's okay. It's over. And then it starts again. That is so much more petrifying. Than, than any sort of continuity right. with this thing. And what he describes to me the most frightening thing, and it sounds silly when you say it out loud, but he would be sound asleep, and he would hear like a full marching band downstairs. And it, it sounds silly, but, you, but he'd leap up because he's the man of the house and he wants to protect his family, and he runs downstairs saying, what the heck, is it a stereo that's turned on? Something like that. He sees his dog, a, a black lab, sound asleep on the floor, so obviously the lab didn't hear it. He would have jumped up too. And then he starts to wonder, is this thing just affecting me? Am I going crazy? Am I losing my mind? And then other family members start to talk about the strange things they're experiencing. And and everyone was afraid to share with the other because everyone else would think they were crazy. And once they start sharing with each other, it gets more frightening because you realize this thing is singling each one of us out in unique ways to get to us. And to me, that I mean, that's just absolute psychological warfare uh, coming from something you can't see or wrap yeah. your hands around. And I found that a lot more frightening than anything that Hollywood dreamed up in the movies.
0: Yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying. That's why I asked you that, because, you know, you look at movies. Well, first of all, I'm not a big slasher movie kind of guy. I like scary movies, frightening movies. You know, they jump out at you movies. But, you know, when people sure. are getting stabbed in the face, that's really not my kind
2: of deal, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, and that's, at some point, you know, the two most frightening things to do as a writer, content creator, whatever you want to call us, right, is to make someone laugh or to make someone afraid because both are so subjective. And slasher, you're right. You're just numb to it very quickly. If it's just going to be 90 minutes of slashing, well, then how am I supposed to be scared at minute, you know, 80 right. when it's just been going on steadily? It's, it's the suspenseful stuff like and 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 of course hitchcock was a master of that you know and and hitchcock's been ripped off by everybody where the woman's walking down the hallway and you know the killer's in the kitchen we've already seen it we've already seen it in you know hiding behind the door and she's getting closer to the door, and you're going, oh, God, don't open that door. You know what's behind the door, and she's getting closer, and then the phone rings, and you leap, right? <laughs> and, and, and you jump up, and you leap, and you go, oh, oh, it's just the phone, and she picks up the phone, and now you relax, and then the killer jumps out, and you jump again, and he's just messing with all of us because he's a master at it, right? I mean, that's Hitchcock just taking you on a roller coaster, and that's... That's the craft of it. That's something we should all aspire to when we're trying to craft stories. You know, how can we move you through this emotional, uh, you know, rainbow of, of, of all kinds of feelings?
0: God, I just, this, uh, you know, it's so great talking to you about this stuff. Because maybe that's why I'm in such a good mood, just talking about Halloween. It's all, This time of year has always been one of my favorites. You know, my brother's birthday's today, and our son's birthday is in five days, and then Halloween, then my birthday comes along. That it's just every week there's something, and it's a really cool time of the year for our family.
2: It is, and it's it's a great time of year. And I, I it breaks my heart when people look at it as something that's. Demonic or religious because uh, as with any holiday you can make it completely secular and that's okay It's your right. It's your prerogative You can turn it into just fun dress up and and go out and and have candy if, if you do if you don't want to tap into The pagan roots of it or the Catholic roots of it or whatever you can take it for just what it is and And I think that's that's the special thing is that we can redefine it every single year you are allowed in your own family to define, for me, it's, it's beef stew and, and pumpernickel bread and carving pumpkins and trick-or-treating and putting out, like, four fog machines and 30 strobe lights. You know, I mean, that's <laughs> what we do. We go right. big. And, and, and getting the full-size candy bars, because when I was a kid, I knew I wanted to be that guy as an adult, right? The guy that had the full-size candy bars, because everyone remembers. You know, you remember yep. your whole life. He gave up the full-size. Ooh. And that's me. You come to my house, you get the full-size.
0: That's hilarious you bring that up because it was announced. Uh, I was not supposed to find this out, but it was announced that um, that uh, one of the local TV stations was going to take a hidden camera and go door-to-door to public figures' houses to see how gener- generous they were going to be giving away <laughs> candy, right? Aww. Right. So we went and um, possibly picked up a few full pies from... Uh, baker square and handed those out <laughs> so they didn't they didn't sucker anyone it works out really really great here kid here's an
2: entire pie for you well
4: the problem with that is now if right. you do that they'd be like sure you
2: didn't poison <laughs> that right no right. <laughs> like, no. Be, no needles no razor blades no in there. nothing
0: no, no there'd
4: be pushback you'd yeah. be supporting obesity and, ch- and right. uh, diabetes true. if mm-hmm. you did it today
0: no you're absolutely <laughs> right you do it now oh you're a horrible human being oh my god what are you going to do? Uh, i tell you what, Jeff, as always, great having you on. Thanks so much. And, yeah, look, I know you're busier than hell the next 10 days. You get your, well, you're always busy anyway. But this period leading up to Halloween, very busy for you. So thank you for taking the time to spend uh, to spend with us today.
2: Yeah, my pleasure. It's always fun to talk to you guys. I appreciate it. But you know what? I exist the other t- uh, 11 months as well. You do? <laughs> I don't, I don't go into hibernation and wait for, like, September 30th, where I just op- open this crusty eye, like, oh, it's my like time. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll, have to,
5: we'll have to have it back for Krampus.
0: For Krampus? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. I love yeah. Krampus. Christmas. That's a great idea. That's yeah. like a a new, Christmas. Tr-
5: new trend now. The ugly Christmas sweaters are going oh, the yeah. Krampus way. You oh, they are? Krampus Christmas sweaters. Krampus. Christmas. I've had
2: a Krampus Christmas sweater for, like, four years now, so oh. I had it long before it was uncool.
5: Yeah, now it's cool.
2: No, <laughs> oh, i got to get rid of it. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, guys. Take care. Happy Halloween. Happy
0: Halloween to you. Best of the Tom Bernard podcast.
1: I was working in the lab late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight. For my monster from his slab began to rise, and suddenly, to my surprise. he did the Monster Man.
3: That was Jeff Belanger was on the Best story. Of. Coming up on next, a little night. bit of a local haunting with Jesse Freeze. Next the
1: on the Best the Of. The Bedroom of the Vampire's Feast. The ghouls all came from their humble abodes to get a jolt from my electrode. They did
6: the Monster,
1: they did the monster Man. The monster
0: love this song always have always will but i someday want to say the evil of the thriller i love it when he does that and it's the season it is the season we're only nine days away from halloween ladies and gentlemen kelly freeze with us how you doing kelly
4: i'm well thank you
0: i'm glad to hear that now kelly i gotta tell you I'm deeply hurt that I've never been invited to the Palmer House Hotel because I I was born in Long Prairie, Minnesota, right down the road from you.
4: Well, I didn't know that you required a personal invitation, so consider <laughs> a personal invitation
0: extended. I, it just sounds like it's so much fun. Palmer's Hotel is indeed one of the most haunted places in Minnesota. has reports dating back to the 1950s. There are various unexplained things happening in the hotel. I don't want to talk about it. I want to hear you talk about them, Kelly. Now, why do you think it is the, now how old is the Palmer House, first of all?
4: Ah, it was built in 1901. It just celebrated its 118th birthday last week.
0: Last week, 118. Yeah, and why was the hotel built in Sau- Sauk Center? Who did it, who did it service?
4: The, well, the, the, the whole premise behind it being built in Sauk Center and where it was, was uh, the Palmer family was aware of the railroad coming through here. Oh, okay. And so it was location, was everything.
0: So basically, it would make a stop there, an overnight stop sometimes, and people would then go and and, and stay at the Palmer House. Is that right? That's correct. That's very, very cool. It's a great-looking building, by the way. I've been by there. I've never been actually in the building, but I've driven by it many, many times. It is a really cool-looking old building. Um,
4: Yeah, it is beautiful.
0: No question about it. Why do you think it... it, Is there any reason for it to be haunted?
4: Well, you know, from a... um Uh, documented historical aspect Uh, many people have a tendency to think that uh, locations are haunted uh, because there's maybe been a lot of uh, tragedies and deaths associated with it and as far as we can tell that's not really the case with it i think it has more to do with the fact that um, buildings like this at the time um, of their construction were often used as um what we would call apartment buildings today people lived here this was their home okay and so i think there's uh a a lot of visitation that happens um with that premise
0: yeah that makes total sense uh, i would i would guess um so 1901 it's 118 years old now when did when did sinclair lewis die i was trying to think think of that
4: Oh, uh, uh, now you're going to put me on the spot. I believe it was in the 1950s uh, that he died.
0: Uh, yeah, so he knew all about the, the Palmer. And does he make either veiled references or any references to the Palmer House at all in any of his writings?
4: Uh, yeah, actually, so, yeah. Uh, free- yeah, frequently he does. Uh, Sinclair Lewis was famous for uh, using alias names for places. And his alias for the Palmer House was the Minnie Mashey House. And so that's referenced in, in several of his works.
0: That's really cool. that must be something to sit down and read that. And now you, because you, you bought the hotel how long ago?
4: Ah, uh, 18 years
0: ago. And And where are you from originally?
4: I'm from a small town in southern Minnesota called Butterfield.
0: Oh, Butterfield, okay. Um, And and then how did you end up in Sauk Center? How did you end up buying the Palmer house?
4: Um, My husband um, had uh, a job opportunity here. And so we uh, moved here in 93 and we did not acquire the hotel until uh, 2002. And um, it was just a matter of uh, the building had, the, the business had closed Nobody was looking terribly interested in it, and Mm -hmm. so we just kind of took a leap of faith of wanting to, um, I guess, save, if you will, a historical landmark Mm -hmm. with the idea that we would uh, just get a business up and running and on its feet and be ready for the new owner that loved this industry or was passionate about it and... And we would pass it on and and go about our lives.
0: All right. One one observation I have to make does, um, your husband. Uh, what, what's your husband's name?
4: My husband's name is Brett.
0: Brett Freeze. Okay. Right. Yes. Does he Correct. know? Does he know that he ended up, his name ended up becoming an iconic figure in the Batman series, Mister Freeze? <laughs> It is. Oh, yes. It is. Mr. Freeze is in the Batman movies. I love that. So he's he's famous. Kelly, your husband's famous, whether he knows it or not.
4: Yeah, I'll remind him of that. So. <laughs>
0: okay. Okay, where did it all start with you, Kelly? Because it says here that you didn't believe in haunted houses at all before you bought the Palmer House.
4: Well, it's not that I didn't believe. I just hadn't had any exposure oh, okay. or experience with it.
0: Yeah, I could see that making sense. So you you bought Now, were you told before you bought it you better watch out cuz the place is haunted?
4: No. Um oh, okay. actually we had we had owned it um for several months and it was shortly after we um actually opened it after doing some work in here before we did open it oh, okay. that I had had um I had made a passing comment to one of the locals that was in here about odd things happening, and their comment to me was, well, it's haunted, and I said, excuse me, and they said, (laughs) the Palmer House, it's haunted. Everybody knows that, and I thought, well, everybody but me, apparently.
0: Everybody but you, that's right. (laughs) Yes, yeah. That was my
4: first, that was the first time that anybody actually put any kind of a label to it that I had something to wrap my brain around.
0: It's very, very cool. Now, now, Cassie, you've stayed there how many times?
5: Oh, gosh. Handful of times.
0: Handful of times? Yeah,
5: it's, we call it our home away from home.
0: Now, didn't, <laughs> didn't Dave at one point see something really, really scary there, if I remember correctly?
5: Well, yeah, he's had a few instances where he's had some creepy moments there, um, but one One time they were doing, he was doing a darkness radio event there. Oh, okay. And he was in the basement and they were doing an investigation and he was standing with two women. All of a sudden a face just came right up into his, just a face. And then it went away.
0: Was it you drunk?
5: <laughs> no. Was it? Although they do serve really good purple rains at the Palmer House. <laughs> okay. I will tell you. <laughs> okay,
0: well, we got that covered then.
5: Um, no, it, he's had many experiences. I've had many experiences at the Palmer House. Oh, you House. have. Okay. I've had. I saw my first shadow person at the Palmer House.
0: No, what's a shadow person? So it's, it's just, just a, a form.
5: Yeah, a dark mass, a form of a of a a person, but it just looks like a shadow. You don't see facial features. Oh, okay. You don't okay. see anything right. like well, that.
6: Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's the difference between a shadow person and a ghost?
5: Um, well, ghosts, a lot of times you don't see. You just, something happens in the room or something. But a okay. shadow person, you can actually physically see a form and a dark mass. And it was, and, and the experience I had was actually very light and loving. It wasn't. Oh, it was? Yeah, it wasn't um, any. I just talked about it with Jessamy. Peluso last Friday, we were talking oh, yeah. about the Palmer House. Oh, okay. And, yeah, we were doing How did she
0: know about the Palmer House?
5: I, I, we were brought up. We were just talking oh, about like ghosts okay. and stuff. Right. And yeah,
0: she, I like her a lot. Yeah, She's she great was great.
5: Um, but the experience that I had, we were doing this thing called the psychomantium experiment where you stand in a in a room in front of a mirror with just one source of light, like a candle or something. Oh, okay. And you're supposed to kind of let your mind just kind of relax and just focus on the mirror and just if any experiences happen it happens it's also called mirror scrying and I was standing there and uh, all of a sudden I heard this kind of scratching over to the right of me and i'm like and it's concrete floor so you know how mm-hmm. when you have like a little bit of dirt and stuff you hear that shuffling noise yes, across yep, concrete yep. that's what i was hearing i'm like oh please don't be a rat i'm like be a ghost be a ghost because i was <laughs> you don't have
0: rats there well, it's, a,
5: it. it's an old basement and i was like you know you just don't know and it was cold out so rodents like to go inside that's true and um all of a sudden i felt this hand cradle the back of my head oh
0: god
5: no, It was very loving and light, and it felt like a mother cradling a newborn head. Mm. That's how gentle it was and in in the sense I had in the room. It was very loving. And then all of a sudden I could smell perfume, like a very flowery old, like what your grandma would wear, like Avon or whatever. Um, Wait a minute, evening (laughs) in Paris? (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Come on. And, um... (laughs) And I did, and then all of a sudden I could feel like the fingers lift off my hand, my head, and the hand just kind of pull away. And then all of a sudden I saw a shadow person walk from where the door is to the the room that I was in to the back corner. And I just went hello, and it just dissipated into the wall.
0: Really? Yeah that's pretty cool
5: yeah it was a very great experience i loved it
0: kelly i have to tell you one thing before we move on that evening in paris came in a in a blue bottle a blue glass yeah. bottle i remember I they remember. were available oh. at all drugstores. stores ah, and you're
4: that old as, yes ma'am Man. yes i am indeed thank
0: you thank you but i uh i remember one christmas i gave my mother a bottle of evening in paris and apparently it had become a habit because she said, come and look at this. And she brought me in the bathroom. There were seven bottles of evening <laughs> in Paris.
5: It was <laughs> See, popular. Good.
0: Enough with the evening in Paris, Tom. Yeah. That'll be good. I've got enough now.
5: And I have, I have smelled that same perfume periodically throughout the whole hotel. Oh,
0: you did? Okay.
5: Yeah. So, so they
0: were following you around?
5: Yeah. It's it's crazy. because it, it's like that old-timey perfume. It's nothing that what I've people wear today
6: oh okay or, or 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 is the palmer house uh taking a cha- taking a page out of the vegas hotels where they have their signature oh, scent that's no, oh i like it's
5: very like in a like you'd walk into a room and you'd only smell it in like a corner yeah. really? it's weird yeah it's crazy Dave, we, <laughs> Dave and i are running around the hotel <laughs> sniffing everything <laughs> oh that's nice
6: great wonderful
5: i'm like do you smell that <laughs>
6: Kelly, when the when the hotel was built, was were, were there any deaths deaths among the construction workers? Because construction at that time was they didn't have OSHA. Is a little bit no, wrong. <laughs> that's for sure.
4: There is, um, yes, there. At at one point again, and I don't know if this is. A, I've I've not seen the paperwork that shows it's documented, but I was told that there were. Um, Several deaths that did happen uh, during the construction of it, um, accidents. Um, some of it was uh, during the construction. It was in the summer months, uh, possibly overheating. Um, so, yeah.
6: So you supposedly so you, there were so so having uh, having uh, ghosts, shadow people, or any number of uh, things. There would be. I mean, certainly reasonable based on that, and that's. You know, I, I can, yeah. That that makes sense now that, that would be it'd be haunted.
5: hmm And Ke- right. Kelly, wasn't the basement of the Palmer well? Didn't they also use that as kind of a makeshift morgue during the winter because they couldn't bury people in the? Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yes, during the flu epidemic, uh, the Palmer House even um, had served as an overflow to the hospital and the clinic.
6: Oh man, that'd be tough. Yeah, I'd be shocked that the place wouldn't be haunted after. I mean, that was was, because you there were women, children, Mm. men. Yeah, seems like optimal haunting situation. Right. Right.
0: So, Alex, do you believe? Do you believe in ghosts? Absolutely. You do. I because I've never even talked to you about that. Absolutely. Does your mom? Yes. She never told me that either. (laughs) Does Andy? I don't
5: know.
0: I don't know about Andy. So you and mom do. Yes. Well, we got to go stay at the Palmer House we got to get up. We've got to bring the whole family up there and stay at the Palmer House.
5: We'll, we'll arrange oh. a weekend.
0: I would love to do
5: that. Yeah, because it's absolutely. Dan believes in ghosts. What? If Dan believes in ghosts. He's had a ghost experience.
0: Before. Oh, he has? Mm-hmm. I never have. Well, well, Kelly, here's the only time I came close. When my my great-grandmother died, she was exactly 100 years older than me, and she died when I was four. She was 104. And she died, and I do remember, I before I knew she was dead, I was four years old, lying in bed, and I woke up and she was standing at the end of my bed. But I didn't know it, but apparently she was already dead, but I didn't know she was dead because we hadn't been told yet. Mm -hmm. So that's the one time, I guess, if I ever did have a ghost, it would have to be my my great-grandmother, Susan Barnard, showing up to go, Tom, I'm going to really miss you. I don't get to watch you grow up. No, she didn't say that. I'm making that part up. But anyway, <laughs> that's a whole but that
5: it's for was the, the body drama language. Of
0: yes, it was the body language that she was given, given out.
5: And that's common with family members. A lot of times, family oh, members it? will visit after, shortly after passing, to the other family members just to kind of say, "Hey, I'm okay. I'm on the other side." Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's very common.
0: Now I should point out, ladies and gentlemen. So if you're doing the the, the math in your head. My great grandmother was born ten years before Abraham Lincoln became president. <laughs> so, what does that tell you?
3: Perspective. Perspective,
0: ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, she was born in like 1851. Yeah. Isn't that unbelievable? When you look back, now that's a question I've always wanted to ask people. Um, when when you look back on the fact that I will, by the time I, you know, die, I'll have known probably eight generations of my family you know mm-hmm. and you wonder about that kind of like that connection you have from my from susan bernard yeah. to to my grandfather to my father to me and then andy and alex and now fa- i mean we're at what are we now at six already seven seven, seven. we're at seven, seven. already yeah. so it's going to be at least eight eight generations that i will have known in my is that is that pretty normal you, you'll have known
6: eight generations of people yeah. That's probably about right, isn't it? Yeah. yeah it was, maybe sort of not. Although she's it. 104, so maybe not. You yeah. Know, and, and certain families, have, they'll see 10, because people do have you know when if you have if your you first have a child kid when 16, you're 20, you know, and <coughs> well or, or 20, say you start. Yeah, at 20, that's right. Yeah, that's true. You know, and your kid is at 20, you're at 40. When you're 60, you got you're at three just from you. You're right. And if you live to 80, you know, then you go back a couple. you're, mid, yeah, you're, you're right. You, you could be at least 10. You could uh, be generations ten. without too much trouble. Best of the Tom Bernard podcast.
0: In this town! Don't we love it now? Everybody's waiting for the next surprise! that corner and hiding in the trash can, something's
2: waiting out of bounds, and now you see! This is Halloween! and black! like a green!
4: Aren't
3: you scared? Well, that's just fine! Say it once That was Kelly Freeze on the best of. Coming up next! Closing out the show. We're opening up the vault all the way back to episode 293 with some of the best costumes that we've ever seen on the show. Captain Jack Sparrow and Bob again uh, during their quest for Minneapolis mayor. Next! Halloween, this is Halloween, is Halloween, 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 Halloween,
0: Halloween. Halloween, Halloween. Halloween. A like guy just walked in my studio with, with a sword and a gun. Well,
4: wait a minute! We confiscate all weaponry at the door.
0: Don't we? Is this a good? Is this a good? Plan? <laughs> I mean,
7: Don Shelby gets in a lot of fights. I
3: don't want him <laughs> getting uh, stabbed.
1: Oh here!
0: Oh here! Yeah, you can put your headset on. You'll <laughs> be good on, to go. Right into that thing. Andy, are you going to share a microphone with? Uh, yep. uh, the other way. with Captain Jack.
3: The other way. Yeah.
0: He's taking all his weapons off as we speak, ladies and gentlemen.
4: And then I'll just move this over here. No. See, she's growling at the
3: hat.
0: Oh, she's already growling at him? There's a
4: pirate in the. I knew she'd growl at him. There's no question (laughs)
0: about that. Do you have headphones for him? Or do we not?
7: Oh, yeah, actually,
0: we do. Yeah, I thought we did. That would be good. We're talking about the Minneapolis mayoral race. We're
4: transitioning. We're transitioning.
0: We're going to get everybody's opinion on this whole deal.
8: Here's one of the things I'd like to talk to you about, sir. Since you are good at correcting the speech of everyone else, Mm -hmm. um, I have, and I'm not correcting you, I'm just saying I have uh, stood for something for uh, 50 years Mm -hmm. that is not electoral and it's not mayoral, that that is a convention of the idiom that has uh, been allowed and misused. It's it's electoral, electoral because you're talking about an election, right? And electoral. you don't emphasize. There would be no reason for it's you as a as a person who is reading a script, mm-hmm. and uh, for a producer to say, uh, emphasize the or the meaningless Why part of that, that word. And so it's mayoral, mayor. mayoral, because mayoral, mayoral. you're running for mayor.
0: See, I've never heard that's learned behavior, obviously, because I've never heard it pronounced that way ever. Yeah, because you wouldn't electoral. say the it is
8: well, it's the, the to mayor, say mayoral the mayor is the office but the o or part <laughs> of it is part of the word mayor so you don't you don't refer to the person as the mayor it's the mayoral election And the electoral.
0: May I still push somebody down if they say often? Yes. You may. Unless they're
8: from from the British Empire.
0: Often. Really, Really, do you soften your clothes, too, in the dryer? Often my ass. I hate that.
3: So don't say that, that, okay?
1: Pretty good, Tom. It's good to be here. Have
0: we ever met before?
1: Uh, I'm not sure.
0: You ever been in prison?
1: No. No. Uh, (laughs) I don't recall. I don't
0: don't recall.
1: Why is it Bob again? Well, uh, you know, I uh, ran first time for public office in 2009 for mayor. And uh, subsequently, I finished second in the Republican primary against Emmer in 2010. Uh, oh, okay. And then uh, uh, ran for U.S. Senate in 2012. And the media was starting to describe me as a perennial candidate. I uh-huh. prefer something like frequent filer.
0: Frequent filer would be good. good they one.
1: started to use the P word. And so I, I do, <laughs> and so I don't do... called you a brick? I don't... It's pretty as perennial. So I don't do defense. I only do offense. Okay, so okay. Uh, my website is BobAgain.com, and I like it's it. going to stay BobAgain.com. That's the plan.
0: Okay, well, I'm glad to hear that. I can't really see Captain Jack because he's behind the monitor, but how are you doing, Captain? Doing fine, thank you. Is it Captain or Captain? Captain. It is Captain. it's not like Captain Crunch, then.
7: Well, it's Captain.
0: Okay. Because, yeah, Captain, I think the only time that anybody ever calls somebody a Captain Captain is on that cereal box. So how did you become a captain, and how did you become a – I mean, you look like a pirate. I assume you are a pirate. I am a pirate. How did you become a pirate?
7: Well, I was doing a demonstration uh, with Occupy, uh, Occupy Home, specifically at U.S. Oh, yeah, Ban- yeah, at U.S. Bank. Yep. We were trying to get uh, Richard Davis, the CEO of, of, of U.S. Bank, to come down and negotiate with us. Over uh, uh, that time, we were negotiating over Bobby Hall's house and Monique White's house, and they wouldn't come down, so we just refused to leave until they would come down and negotiate. And they didn't come down, but the police did come, and we were arrested. Not only was I arrested, but they used a, a te- technique what they call pain compliance. I call it torture. And uh, I'm sorry. What? What uh, do they call it? They call it pain compliance. Pain, yeah. Yeah. Oh. pain oh. compliance. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, uh, pain compliance. Yeah. I like that.
0: Yeah. Pain compliance. Yeah. What was? Your, how did you get involved in, in Occupy anyway?
7: Well, I've been involved with um, that kind of you know political things for a long time. I'm the, one of the founders of Up Not a Poverty Now, which is an organization that used mm-hmm. to take over houses, uh, uh, including the Armory, Gold Medal Flower building, back in nineteen uh, oh, yeah. in the late late eighties, early nineties, and uh, that's kind of what Occupy was. Was doing it was occupying space and eventually Occupy Home started ta- doing the same thing we were doing with Occupy with with up and out of poverty, they started taking over these abandoned foreclosed prop uh, um, properties. Where did you grow up? Uh, let's see, Aiken, Minnesota. Was not on oh, Aiken? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you mean, Aiken, Minnesota? Wasn't <laughs> it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's well, wait. See. Ba-
4: You have to get back to the
0: Captain story. You would. Had... Well, we'll get back to it. I just want oh, to find out where he grew up. I want to find out where Bob grew up. Okay. So Bob again. Where did you grow up?
1: Uh, South Minneapolis. Uh, uh, still living in the house that I was brought home to from Swedish really? Hospital. Oh. From Swedish Hospital. In 1953,
0: hospital. yep. God. Where was that? Well, we can't the tell you. We can't tell everybody. Go right to his house right now because he's not no, home. No,
1: the Swedish Hospital. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's near Elliott Park. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know where Elliott Park is. Yeah. Part of HCMC.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep, absolutely.
4: I've never heard of it. That's why I asked.
0: It's matter of fact, Elliott Park is, when you look out Dr. Becker's window, that's mm-hmm. Elliott Park. Yeah. You see. Okay, I just wanted to know that. So uh, how did you both get involved in politics in the first place? So you, was, was it through Occupy all those years, what, 25 years ago, you said?
7: No, that was uh, through Up and Out of Poverty. Up and Out of Poverty. Uh, uh, before right. that, it was called People United for Economic Justice. We actually changed our name to Up and Out of Poverty around 1990 uh, because we allied ourselves with a national organization that was uh, active at that time. But I've been involved with politics since 1971. I was a member of the... A young Socialist Alliance, which is part of the SWP. I uh, was involved with or, uh, anti-war activities. We, we organized the largest anti-war demonstration in history on, on April twenty-fourth, 1971. That was with the Student Mobilization Committee Against the War. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I've been involved with organizing communes, intentional communities, uh, collective businesses uh, since about 1971 as
8: well. Okay. How did you, Jack, why would you uh, show up in a legitimate campaign with legitimate arguments Uh, with platforms that are important to you Mm -hmm. about uh, poverty and issues that you've supported all your life Mm -hmm. but why are are you uh, trying to make a joke of this why would you show up in a pirate's uniform I don't I do not want to offend you in any way but I'm interested in politics are you here to uh, gather attention because you present an unusual figure or do you really think that if you got elected you would walk into City Hall as a pirate every day of your life.
7: Okay. Well, originally the, p- the pirate thing was we were doing uh, pirate demonstrations with Occupy uh, Minneapolis and Occupy Homes. And uh, I was when I was arrested, I was arrested portraying uh, Captain Jack Sparrow. So I changed my name for that reason to pursue my lawsuit against the the city of Minneapolis. And I thought it would bring some attention uh, to the issue. I had never thought about running for mayor until two days before closing when uh, Bobby Gankarney Carney. I uh, suggested that I should run for mayor. Uh, and I never had campaigned in any kind of suit. I never campaigned for anything because I never run for office before. Uh, Southwest Journal picked up a, a picture out of my uh, my blog, occupyright.blogspot.com without my knowledge or consent, said that I campaigned in a pirate suit and took a picture off there, off, off of it with me in a demonstration in a pirate suit. And so I'm not really smart enough to figure out, uh, all, out how to get this kind of attention as running for mayor, but I, I recognized a good thing when I saw it, yeah, and it they, to get attention. Without money, you need some way of getting attention, and uh, mm-hmm. this did it for me.
8: There are how many? 32 so, candidates? 30, no? 35. 30, 35, 30, 30 35. 35. 35. Right. Bob, again, has uh, a list of, uh, not suggestions, but campaign points mm-hmm. that he's been running on. And these look like, uh, Bob, these look like legitimate uh, political uh, platform planks from any uh, good candidate out there. Uh, some, one of them, the, the casino comes from Dan Cohen, uh, but it's, it's your support that you're putting behind there. You've got transit issues you're talking about. You've got poverty issues you're talking about. You've got foreclosure issues you're talking about. So these sound like uh, legitimate uh, political statements that any candidate would make. Why are you in the race? Are you in the race to make everyone talk about this?
1: Well, you know, I... Uh was hit hard by the uh, financial crisis and you know I decided in 2009 I'm not in this alone there's a lot of people that are going through this so I uh, very audaciously launched a political career and it's been moving forward earlier this year I've been working on developing a a plan for what I call transit revolution and I have a hundred and fifty page ebook online that can be downloaded it's a PDF file about five meg that lays out a very detailed plan for Minneapolis and it's something that can be used throughout the world. This is designed to be a political movement, a mass movement, and a business. We have another feature in our system in Minneapolis where you can run as either a political party by your name or you can run with a political principle of three words. And so what we're seeing now is that there's a number of candidates who are running, and you could call them idea candidates or issues candidates, My political principle, and it will be on the ballot, next to my name, is Demand Transit Revolution. Captain Jack's is going to be count all rankings, because right now the plan is only to count three rankings. We're challenging that. Jamie Kelly has filed with Stop Foreclosures Now. Uh, Joshua Ray has filed with End Homelessness Now. So there's a whole series of issues And what it amounts to is you can get on the ballot and you can put your own personal referendum on the ballot for all of the citizens of Minneapolis by filing, paying $20, putting that three-word principle. And so what we're trying to do is replace money with people and principles.
8: In three areas, Minneapolis will vote. The voters of Minneapolis will vote on education, taxes, taxes. And they will also vote on issues surrounding this utility question that they keep bringing up. Uh, that will drive the voters to the polls. That Their selection will be made on that. Everyone that you've named sound like one-issue uh, candidates. Uh, but do you have positions on uh, taxes and education, for instance? Because well, they will want to yeah. know. And, and Jack, too. Mm-hmm.
1: Our uh, slogan is, dump the regime. And what we're saying is, you know, that the mayor's office is not that powerful. The city council really runs the city. But it's a (coughs) bully pulpit. It's something that you can use to bring change, fundamental change, and this transit revolution is one example. The way that I look at it, it doesn't really matter which one of the regime candidates are elected. There will be very little noticeable difference regardless of who would be elected if any of those win. We are raising issues and supporting each other's issues. If you elect one of the mayoral council candidates in Minneapolis, there will be a fundamental difference and improvement in the daily lives of people. When I go downtown and talk to people on the street about five-minute service for buses, you don't wait more than five minutes for a vehicle, about utility billing to make it a, a utility model, having everybody get a go-kart, people are looking at it, and the lights go off, and they can see this is actually something that would make a difference, positive difference in my life. And they're not used to seeing a politician talking about that. It's a new experience for them.
8: Jack, can you improve education and job growth in Minnesota, in Minneapolis?
7: Well, I think so. I think one of the main things we have to do for uh, education is we have to have motivated, alert, and healthy children to start with. So we need to worry about uh, the two things that causes uh, children not to be alert. One of them is poverty. Um, and one uh, and one of them is uh, just uh, uh, lack of good education around nutrition so we have to have uh, we have to have uh, ch- uh, the parents uh, with adequate incomes to take care of the children and then we have to uh, uh, have um, good knowledge about nutrition and not so much the, of the information that comes from the food industry but good scientific uh, uh, information about what makes it for healthy children
0: what is it where is pa- parenting in as far as that's concerned because when I grew up in North Minneapolis, my mother raised us, and, and not one hoodlum in our family. I will tell you that. I have four brothers, two sisters. They all turned out to be very, very good people. My father wasn't around. He was institutionalized. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my mother did such a good job. First of all, I was asked, well, Pat Miles asked me when she she did a, um, a little biography on me back in the day. She said, why didn't you end up being a, you know a Northside hoodlum? And I said, because it would have broken my mother's heart. What happened? Where does that where does that stand now? Where, where, where young children want to do the right thing because their parents love them? Has is, is, is that disappeared? I mean, families have changed quite a bit, and there's no question about that. But is that still is that the most important thing? Parenting is that still the most important thing?
7: Well, there was a slogan, and maybe it was a cliche that it takes a village to raise a child. Right. But I think that's still true. I think that that uh, we have to have. Uh, uh, good child care uh, and I think, you know, I'm I'm a Christian communist. I believe that we have to... We, uh, <laughs> okay. uh, I, I, I refer to Acts 244 of the Bible where it talks about how everyone that had a property, sold it, and parted it out to everyone as everyone had need. Uh, so I'm a communist in that sense. I believe in collective, uh, collectives, uh, um, intentional communities, uh, where you can have childcare if you want to, where you can have, where, where people can have their own private uh, kitchens and dining rooms, but they can also have the opportunity of, of dining out with, uh, with other people in, in the community. Um, And it can also have collective businesses. So you can stop the unemployment problem immediately by forming collective businesses around the skills and interests of the people that are going to work in these businesses. And I would start working with the most vulnerable people. I would start working with homeless youth, uh, homeless mentally ill, uh, homeless elderly people. And I would would form uh, co-op housing, collective housing, and and, uh, uh, collective businesses uh, around these people's interests and skills. And and I think uh, that would provide uh, a good opportunity for child care for these uh, families.
0: You know, it's interesting Brian, and and something that Bob said earlier. The reason, my personal belief, why that doesn't happen, a society like that doesn't happen, Mm -hmm. because politicians buy people's votes with just giveaway programs. And I'm not calling Mm -hmm. what you're talking about a giveaway program. I think Mm -hmm. it would benefit the community. Mm -hmm. But their their giveaway program is like, well, you know, I know if I give you stuff, you're going to vote for me or my party in any case. Mm -hmm. How can we stop that? Politicians going on. And Bob, you kind of talked about that. Uh, How do we stop that? people taking our tax money and buying votes with it, because that's exactly what they
8: do.
1: Well, you know, that's part of it. But what we have in our society right now is is really an abundance crisis. The main theory in economics is that our problem at the macro level with economics is scarcity. We can't produce enough. Well, the fact is, we grow all the food we eat with 3% of the population. We produce all the manufacturing goods with but we have about 9%, 10% for manufacturing. Now, we import a lot of those goods from China, but you know we've got a robot revolution coming in. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that our technology and our ability to manufacture things and produce things is so incredible that we cannot provide full-time work as we've defined it for everybody anymore. We've seen right. 10 million people go out of it. And, and that is the challenge that we're, we're looking at, so you know when, when you talk about giveaway programs and so forth, we really you know every part of our society is a jobs program. You take the prison, you know, the whole prison system. Mm-hmm. There's two million people that are in prison, and yeah, the right. fact is that they are not counted in the unemployment rate. Right. If if they were, if that's actually right, yeah. everybody was released, unemployment would go up by uh, you know one and a half percent. It's two point
0: two million people. It's, isn't
1: it, no? it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but our no, challenge, that's a good point. our yeah. challenge is. Abundance, it's not scarcity. We have to figure out uh, how to organize our society so that we can share in the abundance that, that our society
7: can produce. And I have a solution to that problem that goes by, Actually, it's not my solution, it's a solution that was uh, first proposed by Thomas Paine. Um, and it was also been endorsed by uh, Martin Luther King, very conservative economists like uh, Milton Friedman, liberal co- economist like John Kenneth Gilbraith. It's the idea of a guaranteed minimum income so that for people that have been uh, outsourced for people that have been replaced by robotics, by computers, by technology, and by people who have their jobs shipped to uh, Mexico or China, uh, they can have the, the basics, you know, and, and I still think, you know, I, I agree. We need to provide incentives for people to, to work too. Right. But I think we can provide the, at least the basics for people uh, to. But uh, well, we to do that way. now, don't we, Jack? No, we don't. We do not. Not even close. Not even close. Really? Yeah. Not even close. What is the welfare
0: yeah. system for then?
7: Well, that's what it's for. It's not, but it doesn't accomplish that uh, well, Why doesn't it? Well, there's. It doesn't. It doesn't provide enough uh, uh, money for for uh, people to live on. It just isn't 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 anywhere near adequate. Not even close.
0: Well, there's got to be a reason for that, then, because they're, they're, mm-hmm. we talked about abundance on one hand. You, mm-hmm. you, it can't, you, we can't have it both ways.
7: Well, we have the abundance, but we just don't spend it. Uh, we, we don't, I mean, we don't. The, the people that need it aren't getting it. I think a lot of the money goes to the to the bureaucracy that runs the welfare departments and the food stamp programs and the and the, med, the people that provide the medical services. But it very little it gets down to the to the people. Same so with you, education, correct? I'm that's sorry, right. Yeah. that's and right.
0: Education, the administration,
8: mm-hmm. in the same boat, correct? Yes, it's where all the money goes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If, uh, Jack, you had this uh, uh, Milton Friedman, John Kenneth Galbraith model, um, and I I know you've uh, taken a few liberties with the the Galbraith suggestion, but let's say there was a a high minimum wage Mm -hmm. in the uh, social services program, Uh, one of the arguments against uh, welfare during the Clinton administration along with uh, other people in the House of Representatives, was that the pay it was actually too high in welfare because it prevented people from seeking work right because it was enough to live at a substandard level but that was better than working for minimum wage in the uh, commercial world because it would be less at minimum wage than they were getting from welfare So how do you counteract that if you offer through a social services? Program, lots
7: of money to people. What is the incentive then to go to work? Well, first of all, I'm not talking about lots of money. I'm talking about the minimum amount to bring people out of just barely out of poverty. And uh, I'm not I'm not talking about minimum wage. The minimum wage doesn't really get to the problem either. What, we, what we're talking about is a guaranteed annual income. That's what Thomas Paine was talking about. What what uh, uh, Martin Luther King <clears throat> was talking about. Richard Nixon talked about, and uh, Gil Braith and, and and Friedman. They talked about a guaranteed minimum income. But it's not a lot of money, but it's but it's, but it's it's actually better than, than – uh, it might be better than uh, minimum wage, which uh, which is right. It doesn't even pay for, for enough to – for people to take care of the health care – minimum health care needs. It doesn't pay for – it will even pay for food. And neither does do the welfare programs to take, take care of that kind of thing. So we need a, a federal minimum income uh, to get people – just above, above poverty. Now, they still have a, a huge incentive to, to work because that's not enough for people to be comfortable on either. Tom, I'd like to thank you
8: personally because – Uh, I never thought that I would actually uh, be a part of a conversation with a fellow Christian communist.
0: (laughs) Well, there you go. (laughs) It's pretty accurate. uh, So so for this federally guaranteed minimum income, or not just just income, Mm -hmm. don't worry, what would you have to do? to receive this this income just exist
7: I think so yeah I think just to to get the minimum you just have to exist but uh, I I think that people should be taking advancing their education I think and I think they Mm -hmm. want to too and I think they should be be um, uh, developing themselves in in every every way that they can and that would give them an opportunity to do that but I don't think it should necessarily be enforced either. Then why would you incentivize that?
8: Seems to me that if you're going to put that much power in the government it ought to be a positive rather than a passive good of just passing out Mm -hmm. money which uh, calls for probably an increase in taxes because you have to fund another bureaucracy to pay Mm -hmm. off Mm -hmm. people at a higher rate. But what if you incentivize that? What if you toyed with the idea of saying you will be guaranteed uh, a guaranteed annual income if you go into a jobs training program, if Mm -hmm. you go to college, Mm -hmm. if you do these things? So you're asking of those people who may not work, you're saying – you have to contribute to society in some way other than just exist yes. and
7: get this money. Yes. I think people should do that. But I'm a scientist. I, and, and, I, and But without looking at the data, I think that people would would just want to do that. If they don't, then I think maybe we could we look at, in, at various kinds of incentives. But let's try it and see if they just – I think they we would want to, um, to get higher education and, and take care of some of their personal uh, problems. But if they don't, then maybe we can talk about incentives. What do you
0: think about that, Bob? Bob again.
7: <laughs>
1: this is a very interesting discussion. Uh, I hope biggest,
0: so, because it'll draw listeners.
1: <laughs> the The uh, economic meltdown resulted in an, about a 10 million uh, person reduction, permanent reduction, in the, the labor force. And, you know, f- we've had uh, what I call a, uh, uh, an era of big stimulus. It really started with Reagan when you went from mm-hmm. you know, 70% down to 28%, you deregulated, and Reagan's strategy worked. It produced economic growth, but, you know, I actually produced my own economic index that I call the decline and fall index. I'm sorry to have to call it that. It represents the decline and fall of the country, and it is the, uh, the uh, a federal deficit plus the trade deficit minus economic growth. If your two deficits are increasing faster than economic growth, then you're in what I call decline and fall territory. And I've run the numbers from, from Kennedy in 1960 forward through Obama. And we first had an, a negative reading on that during Reagan when we had that big cut in the taxes. But we had 20% manufacturing back then. Things were being produced in the United States. There was some place for the money to go. And so the economy did grow. Reagan essentially was right on his idea. And through Clinton, uh, we had the huge, uh, you know, the explosion of the Internet and the dot-com. And that was very productive. And so the deficit actually went down to zero. We had a surplus. But since then, you know, now we're down to 9% manufacturing. Uh, the tax rate, you know, if you're not going to get the same effect going from 70% to 28% as you are going from 30 to 35%. So, you know, Bush tried to redo that strategy, and it sputtered. It didn't work. There was no place for the money to go except into housing and offshore. And that's but what happened. Bob, yeah.
8: d- what you uh, have proposed... Um, is uh, an interesting comparison. So you look at history. But what you what you are giving uh, the voter is a history lesson of how things went wrong and why it's bad. And it's not a very good, as you point out, it's not a very good campaign slogan. The decline and fall. Uh, I'm not your campaign manager, but if if I were in that business, I would say your slogan should be the decline and fall and rise of um, of. Minneapolis. That's a good point. Yeah. So, because you have, you can't run just saying things are shitty. <laughs> you can't win saying things are shitty. You can say things are shitty, and I've got a solution to make right. things
1: better. Right. And I do. Thank you for thank you for steering it in that direction.
8: Don't uh,
0: give him any. Who goes? <laughs> I'll never well, hear the end of it.
1: Well, yeah. You know, there's all kinds of things going for us, and just in terms of this transit revolution, what I'm laying out in this ebook is. A plan for an initial revolution that'll produce a dramatic improvement in transit. People don't need cars. And I've got a five-phase plan that I'm laying out. Uh, one phase is having five-minute bus service on all freeways. You may wonder, how do you transfer at a cloverleaf if you have two lanes coming in? Well, I've got. I'm going to be filing a patent on that. I've got a design for a new cloverleaf on that. But the oh. thing to do is to figure out how to introduce programs that will benefit people across the board instead of trying to work through this gridlock of special interests. And let me give you an example of that. When Hillary Clinton tried to do health care, the problem was she was trying to do the single player plan, and she found out, what a surprise, if you try to federalize one-sixth of the economy and put three million people out of work, they're going to fight it. Right. Obama didn't do that. He didn't try to to replace the existing HMOs and the insurance company. And that's why it was possible to pass it, because you can't eliminate that much of the economy. Uh, but beyond that, you know, you look at, at health care, Obamacare, and I'm beginning to wonder, is this, a, is this a shorter work week program, or is it a health care program? Point. Because yeah. the fundamental structure of it is that if, you, if you're hiring people at less than 30 hours a week, then they buy the insurance themselves. This is a shorter work week. Oh, I would agree with that, yeah. absolutely.
7: Yeah. I want to say that I'm, I'm a Bob is my competitor. We're, we're running against each other, but I want to say this uh, idea of the transit revolution is the most ingenious idea I've heard in the whole campaign so far. And this is something that really needs to be looked at by the, by the uh, mainline pre- uh, mainstream press here because this is something that, that can address one of my main, main issues which is global warming. This will lower our carbon footprint dramatically, probably 10 to 20 percent of the carbon will be required with it, with Bob's plan here than by the, the way that uh, the conventional uh, co- uh, automobiles, buses, trucks are running uh, right now uh, which cause 50 percent of the pollution, over 50 percent of the pollution in our cities right now. I also want to say I want to uh, answer uh, Don's uh, question about what we some th- positive things that we can do. One thing that I would do uh, as mayor, as I would, uh, I would, I would try to do. I'd advocate for uh, a free um, treatment for uh, for drug uh, drug addicts, for, for sex addicts, for gambling addicts. Um, I would provide free treatment. That's one of the ways that people would do the things you're talking about uh, about you know taking care of themselves. I think people would do that more if we had free access on demand to these for, for, to treatment for these kind of things.
0: Don't we? I mean, don't people show up at the emergency room and not pay? Yes. I mean, so we basically do have that program.
7: Well, it's not adequate. We, we shouldn't have to go to the emergency room to get our basic no, I, well, I would agree care. with that. That would yeah. be nice. That, that, that's the most expensive, most expensive place and the least efficient right. way to get your, your, your health care taken care of. Let's take care of at least preventive care up front. Let's at least provide that for people. And then uh, we can talk about you know more uh, serious things. But let's take care, take care of uh, the basics and for preventive care. Right away, that's going to save society a lot of money uh, uh, without... Uh, uh, I mean, it'll, it'll help people and save the, save, save the taxpayers' money as well at the same time.
0: Now, Captain Jack and Bob, very quickly, I'm, and I, I won't take very long here. Um, you described yourself, Captain Jack, as a, a, a Christian communist. Yes. And you said you ran as a Republican.
1: Uh, yeah, I am a Republican as far Republican. as the dynamics of Republican and Democrat. But part of it is I'm trying to defend my language. The word Republican means something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a Republican before being Republican is cruel. And the party <laughs> has gone – crazy i mean it really is that was my question actually Uh,
0: your your friends obviously uh and it's exactly what you were going to talk about by the way and don and i talk about this quite often when did you have to be a hundred percent wrong if you disagreed with anything i said because that's the two-party system we have now is if you don't agree with a hundred percent of what i say then you're absolutely wrong and you're evil and i have to be very mean to you what what is that all about you guys don't agree on everything i'm sure but you're friends, mm-hmm. and you don't have to point uh, at Captain Jack, and you, didn't, you don't have to point at Bob again and say, this guy, what an asshole, this, this, this guy is horrible. Can we get away from that, do you think? Do you think it's possible it, to get away is, from that?
1: It is, it um, is. And the, the key to it, as I see it, is we the people need to get control of our ballot again. One of the big disputes that we've got right now with the city is the city thinks it's their ballot. We've got ranked choice voting, and they think that they can limit our choice to three choices. The ballot is our ballot; it is not the government's ballot. And if we take control of the ballot, we can eliminate this political duopoly of two parties. We can have ranked choice voting that allows you to to rank multiple candidates. You know, take Tom Horner in 2012; right. he, you know, had overwhelming editorial endorsements all around the state. People concluded he couldn't win. You know, it started to fade. Well, you know, if you have ranked choice voting, you know your vote isn't going to get thrown away. That argument goes away. We probably would have had Horner for governor. So we need to take back the ballot, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about producing a supplemental ballot and making it available to people, use the city's ballot for the first three choices, and then fill in our own ballot. And you know what? We're going to put our own referendum questions on it. We're going to start with the Viking Stadium. The next question is going to be a referendum question on foreclosures we've got to get away from the idea that the government is going to tell us how and what we can say exercising our free speech right through the ballot that is the essence of political speech and free speech
7: well we have to tell you that we were threatened by the city clerk uh, with felonies if we pursue this plan to, to produce our own ballot. He told both, both Bob and myself separately and together that we would be charged with felonies if we came up with this with this, this uh, Again, alternative ballot.
0: there's that threat I was talking about. Yeah. There always has to be a threat now, and it's so disturbing. Mm-hmm. Why do you have to I'm a bad guy and I need to go to jail. I need to pay a huge fine. Uh, you have to threaten me because I disagree with you. Yeah, well, I, uh, It's disturbing.
7: As, as you mentioned, I mean, Bob is a, is a Republican. I'm a, I'm a, a Christian communist. Uh, but we get along fine. I and mean, mm-hmm. most ideas we agree on. Actually, he's endorsed 80% of my of my platform. And I've endorsed his, his transit revolution. You endorse
0: that hat he's wearing?
7: Yeah, not the top.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the rest the token, okay. not the top.
8: Bob, you talk uh, um, talking about endorsements, and, and this is one of the rarities where you see uh, opponents for a political office endorsing each other's platforms. Uh, one of the front runners um, is Dan Cohen, and you have endorsed his downtown gambling casino idea. Tell me more about that idea, and how would you get that done without violating the uh, uh, Indian Gaming Compact that the state of Minnesota signed? Mm
1: -hmm. This is something that's going to have to be negotiated, Uh, but what he's talking about is having a casino downtown that would be available to uh, some of the other tribes, and I don't know as much about that. It's it's basically not my my area, Uh, but uh, there's several economic aspects to this field. First of all, it would create jobs. Beyond that, I think that there's an opportunity for us to link the Metrodome, and I'd like to keep it, uh, or at least have a referendum before it's replaced, uh, and the convention center and the Twin Stadium, the Mill City area of Milling District, uh, and have uh, elevated routes that are connecting all of those and make that all one big convention facility. I've got a plan laid out for that. And as part of that, I think that a casino would be an important element because we could then start to compete for convention business with a transit system that is unique uh-huh. and that people would come here to see it, among other things. So it, I think it would be a huge boom to conventions. And uh, having a casino, I think, is a crucial element of that. We have about 35,000 hotel rooms. Vegas has about 150,000. We're competitive in that. You know, we, mm-hmm. can, we can increase that and do a lot more in terms of convention business.
7: And I've also endorsed Dan Cohen's idea for downtown uh, ca- casino, and uh, one of the problems with, we, with the way it is right now is a lot of the na- uh, Native Americans are not being not benefiting from the from the gambling operations that are taking place other places in, in, in the state in certain reservations in certain right. reservations. Mm-hmm. So so Dan, Dan has an idea to to spread that wealth to share that with other uh, tribes who are not benefiting right now.
0: Well, it's a Red Lake in particular, isn't it? Right. Red yes. Lake doesn't have a, there's not a, a great benefit for that tribe, is there at all?
8: No, they basically what they have is a uh, a bingo slot casino. Right. It's very right. small inside right. of a. Uh, a small iron building, and uh, but there is some talk of expansion there. But uh, M- Mystic Lake has been the, f- the font of uh, money, so they r- raise money. And, and several years ago, Mystic Lake began sharing money with other of, the, of their fellow tribes members. Even though uh, that's a Dakota operation, they were they've uh, shared with Anishinaabe tri- tribes as well. But uh, the compact is going to be hard to, to beat unless Dan's program allows the tribes to run that. Then the question is is whether taxation and the portion of the profits hmm. that is reaped from that casino can be increased beyond the uh, 10% limit.
1: Just I, real briefly, you know, I think ahead. that the big element on that for downtown is jobs and the ability to have a complete package for conventions. You know, that's Those are the areas that I think are crucial. I think the rest of it can be negotiated.
0: I just want to mention something personal, very quickly. It has to do with the mayor's office. Uh, when R.T. Ryback was running for mayor, he called in on the KQ Morning Show uh, one day and was talking about. I didn't even know he was running for mayor, but he was. Uh, he was talking on the KQ Morning Show and very, very friendly. All whatever. So uh, he's he's the mayor. This is many years later. Uh, a tornado hits my old neighborhood, North Minneapolis, devastates the neighborhood. Catherine and I said, I'd like to help out, you know, we'd like to help out the people. I love North Minneapolis. We drive home through it every night uh, when we go home from the podcast. I I love the whole thing. That's where I grew up. It's only natural. I put in a call to Mayor Ryback's office, uh, leaving the message that this is what we want to do is take some of our money and help the people who didn't have any place to live. Mm -hmm. Never even returned my phone call. Why?" why wouldn't you return someone's phone call mm. is there a gentrification plan that's going on is there money to be made somehow uh there, there I mean? certainly
1: is uh, going that is going on you know the property yeah. values uh, you know first of all the, the foreclosure maps show that that is by far the hardest hit area in no the city. question yeah it's near downtown mm-hmm. uh it has a uh, very good transit access you know there is the potential for a lot of economic development that could be a factor but i'm just stunned to hear that i don't so I have no idea why didn't call back.
0: great real estate i mean it really is and it's got that whole the, oh the north side the near north side especially the near north side they love it some of the most valuable real estate in the entire state of minnesota and it just it kind of shocked me that i at least didn't get a call back saying you know that's this is what we're doing and maybe you could you know help in this area didn't even bother to call me back so if you become mayor and you don't call me back, I'm going to be very pissed off at both you. Yeah, okay, I just want to tell you.
1: <laughs> you'll, you'll be able to reach us. That's for sure.
0: How about access to the mayor? Can, can uh, and Don, you'd probably know this better than anybody. Can people get through to the mayor? The average uh, Joe or Josephine out there wants to get through to the mayor.
8: Can they even do it to talk to the mayor personally? No, no. no that, I got to tell you be...
1: a story on that. Yeah, um, I got. I had a video series of three videos in 2009 called "RT and Me." And my premise was that I wasn't sure if there was an election because there was he wasn't campaigning. I've got a video. Uh-huh. Here's the, the web's, Here's his campaign office, which is a UPS store. Here's his campaign counter, blank. And so I went with a video camera down to the mayor's office, walked in, set up the camera. Is he there? And he came down the hall, and I got him a couple of minutes later. I went back about a year ago. They have redone the office. And you no longer can walk through oh, directly yeah. into the mayor's office. There's Whoa. a locked door now, so you know that's. I don't know how much they spent on that, but they they completely redid that.
0: Bob, are you a pain in the ass? Let's be honest.
1: <laughs> yep, Jack, maybe can,
0: Jack can answer the, that.
8: Is he uh, a
7: pain in the ass? He tries. Be, I'm a pain in the ass. He tries to be a pain in the ass. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, well, somebody else me do work. That? I don't
8: I want yeah. to come to um, RT's rescue here. I'm, I'm being an apologist, but. Uh, you can't talk to a member of Congress. You can't no, uh, talk. True. You can't talk to a state legislator in person, unless you uh, are a fundraiser. Um, just the system has developed these layers of uh, bulwark against the public, and it's one of. The, and, it, and it's not RT. Anyway, you can't call Michael Bloomberg if you live in Brooklyn. You want to talk about some issue that's close to you. It's just not going to happen, um, and. Uh, it would probably be, if you went to every city hall in America, uh, there would probably be a lock barricaded uh, door in every um, mayor's yeah. office in any major city for security reasons only mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. They're, they're targets, just like Tom's a target. Well, oh, thanks. Been a target in, no, you've been a target. Jack like, shows up with that. a sword and a gun. That's right. <laughs> and and I'm carrying a knife sitting next to you. <laughs> and so uh, is Andy,
3: actually. <laughs> I've got Bella. <laughs> Clips were so dominant that even the referees for the Greenback Packers couldn't stop them on this episode of the Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast, brought to you as always by Bradshaw and Bryant. Great clips this week. Whoa! Jeff Belanger, Jesse Fries, Captain Jack Sparrow, and Bob again. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we will see you next no oh